Department of Energy is very strong on developing the lithium supply chain, but they realize that you need a diverse technology portfolio, and we are there as the voice for the zinc battery developers. And to the financiers, that zinc is a viable option. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we're talking about more diversity in our choices for battery storage. You've heard me talk about this in the past. Lithium-ion batteries are the clear leaders in terms of availability and energy density, but it may be necessary to have more choices for storage. One of the emerging families of chemistries that are showing a lot of promise is zinc. According to my guest, these batteries have high performance, low cost, temperature safety, come in an abundant conflict-free supply, are sustainable, and recyclable. You've seen zinc batteries your whole life, but they were not originally designed to be rechargeable. We first discussed the reason for this in episode 56, but over the last decade, innovations have been made to prevent the pesky spikes that form when you recharge a zinc battery, and you now have a product that can undergo a tremendous number of charge cycles. My guest represents the zinc industry. He says it's time to get the word out that rechargeable zinc batteries are ready for grid-scale storage and everything else. And in a world where supply chains run through a small number of countries and commodity prices are on the rise, the industry could use a few more choices. It's advantages like these that make zinc a superb stored solution. My guest today is Dr. Joseph Daniel Evod, manager of the Zinc Battery Initiative, a program of the International Zinc Association. ZBI was formed in 2020 to get the word out that zinc batteries are now reliably rechargeable. Joseph is based in Toronto. He studied in Austria and has worked in the industry for over 30 years. One of the big issues we discussed was changing the perception that zinc can compete with lithium-ion batteries. Joseph says some of the old financiers making decisions about whether to fund a large-scale zinc project Remember the days when those batteries were simply not made for that kind of job. In the past few years alone, the entire dynamic has changed. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Joseph Daniel Evod. We're here with Dr. Joseph Daniel Evod, manager of the Zinc Battery Initiative. And Joseph, I've covered zinc batteries three times on this show in the past, and it looks like there may be some opportunities for them to compete against lithium-ion batteries. So let's start off with the basics. Why zinc batteries? Thanks, Jay, for the introduction. The zinc batteries have become a very good contender for future use, particularly because now everybody knows lithium and everybody knows that lithium is short in supply. So rechargeable zinc batteries, you know, with high performance, low cost, wide temperature range, safety, abandoned supply, conflict-free supply, sustainability, recyclability. You know, it's really a battery platform as you can also combine it with different cathodes to serve all kinds of different application needs. So it's a really excellent choice for the future of energy storage, Jay. You mentioned quite a few of them. I've spoken to some of these other companies. They appear to be on par with lithium-ion batteries in terms of cycles, energy density, cost. What else might I be missing? 
The energy density is something which is a strength of the lithium system when it comes to electric vehicles, uh, because you can pack it you know, in a low volume and get a wide range. Zinc batteries, not quite as energy dense, but when you require a lot of long duration and you do not have a footprint requirement in terms of low footprint, then zinc will actually excel as it can provide more power, more energy storage in the long run at a much lower cost compared to in some applications like the electric two-wheeler and not so long distance applications, you know, sync can compete, particularly new developers like NSYNC, which have developed the sync sponge technology that can actually rival the energy density of lithium iron phosphate, will be a clear winner when it comes to e-mobility in short range because water-based systems are non-flammable, which is a very important <laughs> aspect. And uh, lately we have had a lot of uh, battery fires when it comes to e-bikes and so on. Right. Joseph, one of the other things that comes up a lot lately on the show is natural resource use. So how do zinc batteries compare when it comes to the use of raw materials and natural resources? I recently had a guest on who said that lithium availability isn't as big a problem with lithium ion batteries as some of the other metals that are involved in that process like cobalt or copper. So are we using fewer of those secondary metals as well? I would actually disagree that lithium is not a problem because lithium will be a problem, of course, in the next 10 years because of the high demand. But to get back to the question, it depends on what you combine as a cathode with the zinc. You know, when you have air, when you have manganese, you have absolutely no cobalt and nickel requirement. When you combine it with nickel zinc, you do have nickel, maybe some cobalt. But it is much different. And zinc by itself, of course, has such an abundant supply that we are not concerned at all for the next few hundred years. And zinc, we should remember that most of the zinc actually is used in other applications than batteries. You know, we have galvanized zinc, which is the huge use, and then alloys. And the amount of zinc that is used in batteries is a very, very small percentage, like less than 3%. So the majority of zinc use is actually in other areas. And zinc has a lot of economic resources and we will have no issues with supplying zinc for the long run, which is these days very important aspect. And this is also why the Department of Energy is looking towards zinc as one of the important technologies to feed the storage market and get closer to the net zero energy transition, which is such an important subject lately. Right. What is the Department of Energy doing for zinc? I guess we haven't heard very much about that. I know they're funding a lot of things these days, but what have been some of the latest moves on that part? Yeah, in fact, the Department of Energy, of course, is very strong on developing the lithium supply chain, but they realize that you need a diverse technology portfolio. And just two weeks ago, they put out funding announcement where they put $350 million towards non-lithium technology to come up with proposals and feed into the demand for energy storage and also also support the electric vehicle charging infrastructure. You need energy storage there as well. So they are looking at all kinds of alternative technologies towards fulfilling that goal, which are non-lithium. So that is very encouraging and it's quite recent in terms of the applicability. 
Right. You clarified a little bit when we were talking about energy density. You said that there are some companies out there. Inzinc was one of them. We've covered this in the past, this idea that zinc was kind of used in regular batteries and there's a way to make it rechargeable, which is really why we're talking about it today. And it's basically you space out the zinc. And so you mentioned something called a zinc sponge. And how does that affect energy density? And could you eventually put a zinc battery in an electric vehicle? You're quite right. Zinc has been used for the longest time. And I actually worked almost 25 years in making the household batteries where we use zinc as the anode. You know, in the last 10 years, the research has really intensified and a lot of companies and members of the zinc battery initiative have done great work in making the zinc rechargeable and having a long cycle life and durability. And there are different ways of achieving zincs in different application areas. The sponge technology is actually one that is very new. This is where N-Sync and and that was actually a collaboration they had with the research that came out of the Naval Research Institute and they got the license to commercialize this technology and they will actually be able to achieve probably around you know 150 watt hours per kilo because the zinc sponge allows a much higher loading that is a little bit of a chemical term it's like the active material loading is higher and then you can have a higher utilization. Zinc itself is a very energy dense metal when it comes down to it percentage of the theoretical energy density that is used in the practical batteries is actually quite low. It's like maybe 20%, 25%. So if you can maximize the theoretical utilization, you have still a way to go in terms of what you can achieve in the end. Right now, you have anywhere from when it comes to zinc bromide batteries, you know, you are down at the lower energy density when it comes to the footprint, but you have a lot of longevity and endurance. And when it comes to the densest one, you would have have the N-Sync type where you, know, you can pack a lot of energy into a smaller volume and you have everything in between like the manganese zinc systems you can put it together in the range of 70 to 100 watt hours per kilo which is very very attractive and don't forget it's one thing to have an energy density based on a cell level it's another thing to have it on a pack level and when it comes to pack level energy density if you have a system that is less risky like a zinc water based system you do not need as much uncertainty ciliary systems to make sure it's safe. So the battery management system is simpler. You don't need extra heating and cooling. So on a back level, you can actually achieve better numbers and very competitive numbers with chemistries that are very energy dense on a cell level, but more risky. So you have to put more safety in. So that's actually a consideration that is not much talked about, but should be considered as well. So do you think we could get zinc batteries in EVs? You know, it's not a target market, but if you don't need a lot of range, you know, you could put zinc batteries in EVs. They have been in EVs in, in the past. You know, if you recall the nickel zinc batteries with General Motors, they had nickel zinc in, their, in the 90s. It's just a heavier system. Wouldn't be our first go-to and really lithium excels in the electric vehicle when it comes to the range. And there's so much demand that will be coming up in the energy storage that so far the zinc battery companies are really focusing in that area. And the low-range electric vehicles or the e-mobility, which is like the airport vehicles and the two-wheelers, or in India, there are a huge number of small electric vehicles which are not cars that will require power. And for that, it makes a lot of sense. Going back to the natural resources question, my guest on mining, we didn't touch on zinc that much as far as where it's found. He mentioned, like you said, that zinc was used in things like galvanizing steel and making it rust proof. Is it found here in North America? That was actually one of the resources we didn't talk about in terms of availability. 
Yes, thanks for the question. This is actually a very important aspect of tourism. Like the zinc mining is actually done in 60 countries all over the world. And we have zinc in the United States, in Canada, in South America. It's in 60 countries all over the place, which is great. When it comes to refining it, there are 27 countries refining and smelting zinc. So it's very available all over the globe. And while China is the largest user of zinc. You don't need to rely on China for a zinc supply because it's so global. But China has also a lot of zinc and they use their own zinc and there will be no dependence on China, which is a big topic for some other metals where even if they are not found in China, they are refined and processed in China, not so for zinc. So zinc is completely global and not an issue at all. Joseph, where would you like to see this generation of zinc batteries fitting into the mix? Like short-term utility-scale energy storage, is that maybe the next big market? We see zinc fit into a lot of different roles. The energy storage sector is, of course, a big one. And there we have different levels. We have a residential level, smaller systems, and you can go behind the meter. Then you can go bigger with commercial and industrial, which is giving security there for your renewable energy. And then you can go to a grid level where you get utility scale. And then it depends on what the customer wants and what the zinc chemistry you would choose. And you can go from very short duration to very long duration. You could even do a hybridization where you have instantaneous power with, for instance, the nickel zinc and combine it with a very long duration system where you have like a zinc air that can run for hundreds of hours because when you decouple the storage, like the storing of the energy from your battery, from the cell module, it's almost like you have a car, right? You have a car, you have a motor with a certain horsepower and then it's the amount of energy you put in a tank. With a zinc air system, you can do something you know, similar also with a zinc bombing system where you select the power you need with a battery cell module and then you know the tank you can put as much as you need for your application and we think you can go up to 100 hours if you go more than 100 hours then you get into the arena where you know hydrogen and other systems will be more cost effective so anywhere from instantaneous which is in milliseconds to 200 hours you can find the zinc technology that fits Jay. Yeah, but that's pretty versatile. Joseph, I've had some conversations, not necessarily on the podcast. Some people have come up to me and asked me some advice specifically about financial institutions and about financing big utility scale battery projects. And the feedback I've gotten from a lot of these financial institutions is that it's still early days for them. These batteries don't have the same track record as large lithium ion manufacturers. And so when it comes to project financing for, say, utility scale battery energy storage systems, lithium ion still the preferred module of choice. Is that what you're seeing? That's actually why the Zinc Association initiated the Zinc Battery Initiative. We are there as the voice for the Zinc Battery developers and to the capital market people and to the financiers that Zinc is a viable option. Of course, lithium batteries are produced and they are readily available in a mass manufactured you know, situation where the Zinc Battery developers are new and they are just creating their gigafactories. Like we have nickel zinc, for instance, like Asia has just put the shovel into the ground for their first gigafactory 
factory. So we are behind in the manufacturing scale. And like these conservative financiers, they would then say it's not mature, but it's coming and it's changing. You know, in the last year since I'm with the association and running the program, we have actually seen, for instance, easing here in Toronto, they have a sink air system. They just recently got $25 million from a venture group for the commercialization to put it into place. So it is changing. It was very much a problem one and a half years ago, and the area is changing, but it is one of the issues yeah, there. The conservative financiers hesitant, you know, to put money forward. Yeah, it's interesting because zinc batteries have been around longer than lithium-ion batteries, but lithium-ion batteries were really the first into this large-scale battery energy storage space. And so it's funny that zinc batteries are now having to essentially prove themselves to these financiers. And so what specifically is ZBI doing to help with the financiers? Because a lot of these financiers want guarantees. They basically want the risk financed. Yeah. Well, CBI at that stage, you know, we are basically communicating and getting the message out, the benefit of the zinc-based batteries. But one of the things that is happening, particularly in the US now, with the Department of Energy, where they basically put money up to do demonstration projects, that is going to help a long way towards minimizing the risk. Because if you get that influx, then, you know, it's not a me-first situation and you're going to get more success, in my opinion, going forward that way. In the past, zinc got a bad rap because the old zinc-based batteries had a short cycle life. And that is something that our members have overcome with new research. And some of the people in the financing area, you know, if they have been around, they still have the memory from the old zinc cycle life shortfalls. That has caused some of the hesitations. But with education and with demonstrations and with the new energy going forward, we will definitely see much more acceptance. And the funds will flow in because it's a capital to intense situation to get into mass manufacturing. So this is what's holding things back. So as we get more money in, you know, we will see more sink installations for sure. Joseph, I'm curious what DOE would be specifically funding. It's not necessarily funding, I would think, the zinc technology in a lab. It would probably, at this point, I would assume, be large-scale demonstration projects where it shows how a large system can function, yeah. right? It's not the cells. That's actually correct. The Department of Energy has basically funding available for demonstration projects, which are bigger. These areas where those financiers are hesitant, but they also do fundamental research, particularly they have the national labs and they support, you know, university. So there's basically a two-pronged approach there where they do fund research, you know, which kind of, you know, go to a more fundamental material level to look at how to increase energy densities and they go, but the big money really goes into the demonstration project where you need a lot of money because that's the thing, like to do a big installation on a utility scale, it's very quickly $10 million and you just have a demonstration, right? So that's the kind of effort they are doing now, new and demonstrations. Right. And then on the public financing side, the suggestion was with a lot of those banks and financial institutions was if DOE wasn't willing or some other financier wasn't willing to buy the risk, it was to build up hours with smaller behind the meter operations, for instance, and then that could segue into larger financing for more complex utility scale projects, for instance. This whole energy storage arena, it's nobody really has a good business model and the value for the services is worse, right? Business models are being developed as we speak, I guess, and the scheme you are talking about is one of them. But you need to give value for the storage. A project can become profitable sooner. It's quite interesting. 
Well, anyone who's interested in that ought to join me for PowerGen 23. We've got the list of schedules out and I'm hosting a panel on the proper business model for energy storage. And so we've got a couple of financial experts. I'm just throwing that out there to the listeners. Joseph, do you see rising lithium prices and supply chain issues opening up opportunities as well for zinc? That's actually very correct, because if you look at the lithium price in 2022, it looks like a hockey stick, right? It seems to remain quite high. There was a big eye opener, and this is where, you know, a lot of companies are looking into other options there. So cost is definitely a big motivator. No doubt. All right. Joseph Daniel Evod, Zinc Battery Initiative, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Jay. It was a pleasure. That was Dr. Joseph Daniel Evod, manager of the Zinc Battery Initiative, a public outreach program sponsored by the International Zinc Association. As of this episode, ZBI has 11 members, including Zinc 5 and Urban Electric Power, who were featured in episode 130. ZBI member NZinc, who Joseph said had licensed the Zinc Sponge technology, is the same technology we profiled back in episode 56 with its creator, Dr. Deborah Rollison of the Naval Research Laboratory. I want to thank Joseph for his time as well as time. Anya Correa at Silverline for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures before this episode on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 156. Be sure to join us next week when we discover just how much room is left for LNG terminals. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.